0: Y'all, wheeze is hating right now. <laughs> hating on Connecticut. I mean,
1: anymore. I feel like it's a valid question. Okay, so you do have an airport. Yes, Connecticut has
0: an airport. <laughs> Bradley International yeah. Okay, Hartford, airport. Connecticut.
1: Yes. All right. Okay, y'all got an airport. Oh, we got an airport. <laughs> so do you have one airport that serves the entire state? We have one <laughs> major airport and then several smaller airports. So like I said, you have a one airport that serves.
0: I mean, Connecticut is small. Like it takes an hour to
1: drive Drive through the whole two thing. Two like, two hours. Yeah.
0: Uh, no. But we have an airport is the point I'm trying to make. All right. It's a small airport. <laughs> hey y'all, what's up? This is Trudy and I just want to welcome you back to episode 17 of That's Not How That Works. On the show today, Weez and I are talking about privilege, what it is, and what it means when someone tells you to check yours. If you're enjoying the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. It'll help people find us. Hey, y'all, what's up? Welcome to That's Not How That Works, episode 17. Man. Yeah. We got to
1: 17.
0: We sure did. We're doing it. I'm so proud of us. We're so smart. So smart. Oh, my God. All right. enough enough games we have serious business we do to discuss today
1: we sure do um,
0: first of all i i just want to say that i hope y'all had a chance to listen to episode 15 and 16
1: i hope you only listened to 16 <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's the work. what Where 15 we, was my episode we and i put our hearts on our sleeves i mean i put that's as
1: much of it as i could yes
0: yes to, to some to some extent um <laughs> But today we're talking about privilege. (laughs) No, So today we're talking about privilege. Um, A couple of things have happened as of late that we need to address. And and it's interesting that the way that things happen because I saw a post online just the other day um, where someone who I really respect who talks a lot about uh, feminism and privilege, and different things, shared a post that said that citing someone's privilege is a way of dismissing their experience, their life experience. And, um, and I really heard where she was coming from. And I, I disagree with that. General, generally, I disagree with that statement that, you know, naming privilege and talking about privilege is not a, about dismissing people's experience and humanity. It shouldn't be used to be doing that. Um, and I can also see where people might feel that. Um, so I wanted to talk about that, and then at the same time, we had these really just horrible things happen um, out in the Bay Area where mm-hmm. Weeze is, just and keep happening. Um, yeah, and you know, it's funny because Weeze and I always have this conversation about like, should we plan our content in advance? <laughs> we always kind of come to this place where it's like, the world is going to provide us with content, <laughs> so just, keep, just keep happening that we Never need. Never ending. So um so that's where we are today um you want to say anything else uh, just starting us off with
1: um you know I have thoughts even uh, and disagreements even to what you just said and so I think that I'm going to wait till we get a little further so that okay. I can go in cool let's do it
0: let's do it so the first thing that we're going to just start with with just what is privilege so yeah we just tee us off here with that
1: yeah, so um, privilege in the most, most basic sense is any qualifier or any like identifiable, quote-unquote, marker. So what we mean by this is, so for example, your, your race, your gender, your religion, whether you're able-bodied, so on and so forth. So these identifiable markers that would put you in positions of to benefit in the current society and system that we live in, for example, race—you would be white, right? Because we live in a system of oppression where anyone that is not white or not identifiably white does not benefit in the same way. Gender—it would be male, because we live in a patriarchy.
0: Yeah, I think what I hear you saying is that like privilege is really about is something that you have that gives you an advantage. So
1: yeah, privilege is. First of all, privilege is, is, for the most part, born, right? You are born with this privilege. So these are things that automatically, without you having to do anything, you came into this world and because of these identifiable markers, as I, I'll call them, you automatically have a leg up, you have a step up, you're starting the race a hundred yards out. Absolutely, from, the, from everyone that doesn't have those same markers um, or who is part of a marginalized community. So that, that is privilege. Privilege is, yeah. In summation, you are born with things that give you a hundred yard lead on a 200 yard dash. You're already halfway to the finish line.
0: And there's actually a great video, this kind of animated video that literally shows how that works in a race. So we can link to that. Um, yeah. So there's actually really the reason I
1: use that analogy is that is something that we've done that is a practice that I've done with especially when I'm working with like high schoolers or college kids. You literally start them all at a line, mm-hmm. and I think that, the, it, this isn't a like something, yeah privilege walk. I was gonna say this isn't something that I created, but like this is why I use this analogy because this is the best way to explain it. So you literally and and for those that don't understand a privilege walk, you literally start at the same line and then you call out like if you are white, take a step forward. So you know certain markers of privilege get you steps forward so you get to walk forward based on your privilege and then it's like cool turn around and look how far ahead you are from everybody right. else right um and and that for a lot of people is super impactful yeah. um, i think everybody should do that at some point in their life
0: yeah absolutely i agree so yeah, that's so that's what, what privilege is. is so privilege is usually unearned something you're born with or born into that gives you certain advantages and leg like, up um, in society. There are a few exceptions around um whether they're unearned or born into. For example, education is one of those things that can kind of change over time. Income is one of those things However, that can change over time.
1: Mm-hmm. I but. can argue like in in ten, 10 sentences, how both education and income are directly linked to your parents privilege, which they were born into, or, you know, so, so, so it's absolutely Absolutely. generational as well. So you may, you know, not be born in automatically. It's like, oh, you're going to go to Harvard, but it is a hundred percent dependent on, you know, the, the generational, uh, let's call it passed down education is generally generationally passed down we're not saying that people of color cannot pull themselves up by their bootstraps and achieve higher education or um uh, you know level up to a higher income status but if they don't do that because there are very real systemic roadblocks right then the likelihood of their children being able to do that is very right. low so i want to make that really clear even though Absolutely. yes there are things that you are not quote unquote born into if people of color if, if your parents identify as a marginalized person and they have managed to navigate through all of the systemic roadblocks to be able to achieve higher education then it is more likely that you will also
0: right but
1: so first, a perfect fight,
0: exa- i'll give you a perfect example just so it's like Crystal clear. clear. So crystal clear. So I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. To go to college, graduate from college. I was broke. Like I was poor. I was a teen parent. I listened to episodes. Um, So you know, I have been like lights out broke. Right. Right. Today, I have a lot of privilege around my education so therefore my children even though they are they identify as two black men right they went to like they graduated and went to college you know what i mean like they had made decisions about like whether or not they wanted to go to community college or not but like the pathway to get there was really easy for them and they didn't have to go through the things that i went through and don't do that
1: right and so i just i just really want to reinforce that for people that are going to sit here and be like, oh, like, you can go to school if you want to. Eh, Yeah, you you can go to school if you you want to. to. Exactly. It's complicated. And maybe we'll do a whole other episode on that. But I just want to name that because this is something I hear from white people all the time. And even though this is you and I talking to each other, I can't help but hear The the feedback from all of the white clients that I have, or all the white people that generally make these statements, if you worked harder than X Y Z, that's not how that works. It's Definitely not. I'm not going to completely address that right now. I need you to quiet that nonsense because your white privilege allows you to believe that that's right. That is all. Now we can move.
0: Okay, great. So, so privilege is definitely linked to identity. And yes. so there are two kind of helpful ways to think about identity. We have mainstream identities and we have marginalized identities. And so we'll just kind of run through those kind of markers and kind of call out like, which are the privileged identities and which, star, which are the mainstream or privileged identities and marginalized or uh, typically oppressed, oppressed. Uh, right.
1: groups. And also, so the to first, be clear, we yep. are recording in the United States. So yes. while some of these, for like our international listeners or people with international backgrounds, you might hear certain things and be like, oh, where I come from, that's not 100% true. Like I think about, oh, you know, my lineage. Like, okay, that might yeah. not be 100% true. But there are still, a lot of these are universal and some of yeah. these aren't. And we acknowledge that, but that's a larger conversation. So we're really working within the framework of the United States. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Because
1: that's, that's where we are. That's where we are. Um,
0: so the first one is around race. And mm-hmm. so obviously the mainstream identity being white. And so that's the privileged identity. And then the marginalized, marginalized identities are people of color. And so the, the other thing about race is that race and color are also very linked. linked. So mm-hmm. even in communities of color, people who are lighter skinned, have more privilege than darker skinned people. So
1: even in communities of color, the idea
0: of light skin privilege is a real thing. It's very real. Colorism is a
1: thousand percent real. Um, I don't know how often this has happened to you, Trudy, but like when I'm with my people and especially, you know, because we're both fairly racially ambiguous, light brights, if something Mm -hmm. is happening, they'll be like, wheeze, wheeze, like go, go handle this. Oh yeah. Right. And, and at no point am I like, no, why? I'm like, I'm already like, I got this. like y'all don't say anything. Don't do nothing. Don't move. Make sure yeah. your hands are visible. Like I'm going to go do the talking or, or be at the front line or whatever, because, and, and I know you are too, like we're cognizant yeah. of colorism. We're cognizant of the way that we can disengage an unconscious biasy, or like create enough confusion to where like we might have a safer space or more, or, you know, an easier chance navigating certain situations. Absolutely. Um, so this is really, really real. And I I just, I want to mention that because what I also don't want is anyone taking this as like an attack on just like white people. Like, no, whiteness in terms of like fair and, and, you know, to like dark is a spectrum of privilege. Light skin, exactly, is privileged. However, that being said, there's also the reality that white people do still look at us and they're like, I don't know what you are. You're confusing as hell, but I still know you're not white.
0: Right, and what yeah. are you? Still not you one from? of us, exactly. What are not you? Where really? are you
1: from? Because yeah. they have to put us in a box. Anyone that's racially ambiguous or light-skinned, like, I have to put you in a box to see on, like, what side of the line you're on. Yeah. So race is obviously the one of the the very first. Yeah. Because it's the most readily identifiable. Like, it's the easiest one for people to see and notice. Right. Yeah. And it's also over, like, overarching in terms of sy- systemic oppression.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. We're going to go into some statistics around this stuff a little bit later, but yeah, absolutely. So the next one is gender. So male, gender and gender expression. So males are privileged. They're the mainstream identity. Um, women, as we know, have, have been historically mm-hmm. oppressed and marginalized. And then mm-hmm. cisgender, meaning that your gender expression and your biological sex are the same. So you were born with the male part, right. and you identify as a so cisgender people are privileged. Transgender, gender nonconforming people are marginalized. Hundred percent. Yeah. So the
1: next one would be able bodies. So ableism versus quote unquote non able bodies. So anyone that has literally anything that is readily identifiable as quote unquote different or you know differently abled, um, which is interesting because there's always, I just want to note this, because I I know that that can be triggering for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. This this frame, this term of like, differently abled. I just want to note, because I had this conversation with someone, and there was an argument that like, differently abled is, is considered offensive. um, You know, and these are, all kind of newer terms like people are trying to figure out how to have these conversations and make people feel safe and make people feel you know honored and not you know continue to like marginalize them. Um so if you're listening and that's you know maybe you work in ableism um any any of those fields and you want to reach back out to us and, and have that conversation and let us know kind of like what is a newer term or a mo- more appropriate way to talk about this, like definitely let us know. Um, Cause as far as I know, you know, the term differently abled is still widely used. Um, but I-, I do know that that can be triggering and offensive to some people. So I just want to acknowledge that. Um, the next one would be looks, honestly. So yeah, like, whether absolutely. you're attractive or not, you know, like whether you're fit, whether you the, have a sem- the pretty privilege, like that's face. what it's called. Yeah, pretty pretty, pretty privilege. privilege is like, Is a real thing. And regardless of pretty people being like, especially pretty women. And I get this because, you know, I'm not saying I'm the baddest thing walking, but I I value my intelligence over over the way that people perceive me. And so there is like the buck back of like, oh, but I'm smart and people think I'm pretty and so they never think I'm smart. That's nice. Okay. I understand that struggle. But at the end of the day, You still, as someone who is considered conventionally attractive or widely considered attractive, have a leg up. You are still Mm -hmm. more likely to get access than people who are not considered attractive and, like, period, point blank. Mm -hmm. Like, the things that you have to deal with on the other end of that are not, you know, they're not any less real. But if you don't open your mouth and you're an attractive person versus an unattractive person, for the most part, who's gonna get access? Who is going to get a job first? Mm-hmm. Who is going to get a promotion first? Who's going to be sent out on client meetings first? Like all of those types of things. That's real. And that's real. I remember when I was working in, um, in the, the arts field,
0: I remember getting resumes from people that had um, pictures attached pictures, to them. Yes. And I was like, what is this about? And so I went over to talk to a colleague and she was like, oh, that's really actually um, standard in Europe and like some other countries that it was, and there were these like really beautiful headshots. And I was like, why do I need to know what this person looks like? It's not an acting gig. Like it's an office job. Like, you know what I'm saying? Um, but that, yeah, that definitely plays a a role.
1: Yeah. When I was applying to, to positions in London and Paris, it blew my mind. Like I know what a traditional CV in Europe looks like. And my friends in Europe would be like, you need to attach a picture. And I was like, I don't want to. And like, I want to be looked at for my, you know, qualifications. And they're like, that's nice. That's not how it works. First of all, in Europe, everybody else is doing it. And, you know, if you can get a really good headshot with a nice smile and like present a certain kind of way as quote unquote pretty, they're then going to read your resume versus they're going to look at you and be like, eh, throw it out. That's a hundred percent real. And when I tell you that I sent out resumes without the picture or CVs, cause they structure differently. I sent out CVs without a picture, no holla back. I sent out CVs with a picture to the same position, same companies, every single one of them responded to me. And I knew I was qualified. That's not the point. Yeah. But it's like liter- legit. Like you didn't, yeah. it's real. It's real. It's a hundred percent real. It didn't matter how qualified I was. Um, So those are kind of the kind of initial physical markers I can think of. Yeah. Can you think of anything else that are ones that you can initially like put in the, you know, check the boxes for when you first look at someone?
0: I don't know. I think those are the ones that have to do with just like, quick glance you know what i mean like i see you i'm making certain judgments about you judgments right yeah and then the next layer are just things that we tend to find out about people or things that are like this next layer like as soon as i start to have a conversation with you i'll start Mm -hmm. to pick up and one of those is language access and like english dominance yep So in the United States, if you are fluent in English, you are, that is, that is mainstream. That is the expectation. And if you are not, that is marginalized and it's seen as like a burden. I mean, how many times have we all seen a video go around that's like, you're in the United States, you need to speak English, like speak English. Mm -hmm. Only a monolingual person would say something like that. Correct. Correct any other country like most other countries actually children are raised speaking more than one language so mm-hmm. multilingual speaking is a value it's not it's not something right. that's looked at as like you shouldn't be doing it's something that's valued because you have more right. access, you have more jobs you you know all kinds of, um but right. in the united states if you don't speak english like it's like or speak it well enough it's like a frustration to everyone right
1: i mean and And that's not just in the state. That's a very American perspective anywhere. Mm -hmm. We were just talking about this. I was in the DR last week and predominantly Spanish speaking, very few people speak very much English, like any sort of real communicable English. They're in their own country, the Dominican Republic. If you are Dominican in the Dominican Republic, why would you be forced to speak English? And some of the people that I was with, which were like, to be clear, certain people that I, that are readily identified as privileged. So whether they were male or female, they were white, like upper income attractive people who only speak English were very frustrated that the, you know, the native population did not go out of their way to speak English. They were like, you know, this is, there are a lot of English speaking Americans on this resort. Like you need to learn to speak English. No, they don't. You're in their country. Learn to speak Spanish. Or don't go. Or don't go. You know, and, and they were still the, you know, the, the individuals that work there, they were still like smart about it. Like people had their phones out with like English to Spanish translators and they'd mm-hmm. be like, Oh, you know, you'd people walk a store out. and they didn't speak English. So they're like, hold on. They type it up, show it to you. Cool. Like they're still trying to accommodate you, but yeah. how dare you be upset and frustrated that this person doesn't speak English? Yeah. Like that, that is a very American, very American way to, to look at, look at the world. And like somehow you are beneath them if you, you can't speak English seamlessly.
0: Right. So yeah. that's definitely one of them. I think language is often connected to citizenship, to citizenship. status. Like yep. U.S. born versus immigrant versus undocumented. Correct. All of these things have different levels of levels. privilege yeah. and access or marginalization. Whereas if you are... U.S. born, you're privileged. And that, to give you an example of how this kind of works, even among communities of color, people who, li- who were born in Puerto Rico are U.S. citizens. Right. So hopefully folks know that. United. I, don't Puerto think
1: Rico. People do.
0: I know some people don't. Someone asked my father recently if he had a green card. Yeah. He was like, yo, I'm Puerto Rican. No. And they were like, yeah,
1: do you have a green card? Oh, Lord have mercy. Yeah.
0: Or how long did it take? No, make- Puerto
1: Rico's an American colony. Like Hello. they get citizenship. I'm right. sorry, what do we call it now? A territory. It no, is a it is an American we, colony. We you, you talking about, but we call it a colony. Right. That's <laughs> right. You know, well, people who don't want to admit that colonialism is real and still yeah. thriving. Puerto Rico's an American colony. Puerto Ricans get citizenship. They don't get to vote, but they get citizenship. Yes. Well, it's funny, they do get to vote.
0: But not in Puerto Rico. Puerto so Rico. Yeah, that's what out, I should
1: say. Yeah, sorry. So
0: if they come to the United States, States yes, they then vote. they get
1: to vote. Sorry, I should, yeah. I should clarify that for people who don't understand that nuance. Yeah. Puerto Rican, American citizens in Puerto Rico yes. do not get to vote. Which again, to reference back, anyone in Puerto Rico that is born in Puerto Rico is an American citizen. An American
0: citizen. <laughs> so
1: the so, colony doesn't get to vote.
0: Right. So the, the point that I was trying to make there is that even among people who have, who are marginalized in other ways, because maybe they're not English dominant, maybe they're dark skin, right. they still have privilege because they can come to the United States. And a lot of different, right. um, like Spanish speaking, Latin American, Caribbean countries, you know, f- have certain types of feelings about Puerto Ricans being able to come here right. and just kind of be an, in America. An, be able to kind of get access to different services and vote and do other things and not having to deal with like immigration green cards. Right.
1: However, once they get here, if they don't speak English or they don't present in the way that mainstream identities want them to present, then they are automatically assumed to be less educated, immigrants, not having citizenship. So it's yeah. interesting, right? As soon as you leave a certain space, then you are marginalized or viewed well, as part yeah. of a marginalized community. So like I, I say that just to be really clear for people that are listening that mainstream and marginalization can shift in certain ways depending on location and population.
0: And so right. what I believe you're talking about is the concept of intersectionality
1: oh you don't say perhaps we should discuss this (laughs) that is exactly what i'm talking about so intersectionality is the idea that any one person can have multi-layered identities and that those identities while they are not independent of each other right they intersect they cross over while they're not independent of each other can shift your privilege in different environments. So you're not just a woman.
0: You're not just a person of color, but you're a woman of color. Right. And that in itself has unique experiences that you wouldn't have if you're just a person of color or just a woman, a white woman.
1: Correct. And so the more layers there are, the more marginalized you can be, right? So for example... A white cisgendered man is at the top of the hierarchy pyramid and a white cisgendered male who identifies as gay is, right, knocked one level down on the pyramid, just like a white male, either gender fluid or uh, transgender, whether he identifies as straight or gay is even further down on the pyramid. Then you, right, so there's layers to it. So that's why they always say the most marginalized individual is going to be a black, transgender, lesbian woman. Like, right. off top. And, and then don't even get into whether she's English dominant, not English dominant. Like, right? and, and, poor and, and, un- and poor and uneducated um, and all, all these right. other things, right? So there's the other layers to it. But that's why women of color keep screaming at white feminists that they need to be cognizant of their privilege and need to be cognizant of the intersectionality of race and gender mm-hmm. in the the fight for feminism and the fight for equity because the way that feminism is is you know being fought for and is being spoken about does not acknowledge the struggles of women of color and does not acknowledge our voices right. and so that's why women of color are yelling at white feminists or or white women that are you know fighting the the feminist cause so to speak and we're just like yo y'all don't listen to us you don't account for us like this is why we are pushing back against you like we we yeah. need to be accounted for too
0: and we saw a lot of this um just even visually like in a lot of the pictures around the black lives matter correct movement, and then the women's march march movement.
1: yes right. so there yes. were
0: large numbers of women of color. At the various rallies all around the United States and in the Black Lives Matter movement, you didn't see a lot of white women at all, um, you know, coming to the to the line
1: to protest to participate. I didn't see Um, white women in Ferguson. I mean, there were a few. No, sure. and that, right, and, right, right. and and I bring that up because a lot of people here Ferguson, they automatically assume this is about Michael Brown. No, that is where the Black lives chant and Black Lives Matter movement really originated because it was that moment that sparked the and but by I say that moment the the murder of this young man sparked the movement and and so we're out here fighting for black lives white people were not present you know what i mean like you want uh we're constantly showing up for for feminism right and that we're included but y'all can't show up for anything right. else
0: but trump is voted into office, office talking about grabbing by the pussy pussy right and and there's a rat, you know and right. millions of women right. like flock right. to washington and all over right and you want and I'm, you know that's not to say that right and that's not to say that like women of color shouldn't be at those rallies you know like i'm not making a judgment on any of oh no not at all out, like that you can even see in the picture um in in the pictures of these events where that criticism is
1: it's coming from right absolutely absolutely like
0: so what i and so what i think this conversation also is is showing and i really want to call attention to it is that most people have some privilege correct what yeah. So when we're talking about all these different dimensions of a person's identity, right? Like race, gender, religion, English accessibility, education mm-hmm. level, all these things. When we talk about all, right, citizenship. When we talk about all these things, most people have an amount of privilege that they can leverage, that they can use to get access to things, or mm-hmm. that they can leverage on the behalf of other people, right? right? Um, so privilege is not reserved for white folks like correct. the concept of privilege is not reserved for white folks white privilege is a specific type of privilege, Pri-
1: privilege. correct
0: so i think that's important because you know i i, I really can't get that post out of my mind around the idea that privilege is um, that when people say check your privilege that it's meant to dismiss someone's experience and well privilege on its own is something that every someone can tell me to check my privilege. I might right. say something, you know, and and which I do, right? You know, right. I talk about that all the time. Yeah, so I think that there's a way to talk about privilege and acknowledge privilege that isn't dismissive.
1: Well, but here's the thing. I think that saying check your privilege, like this is so this is why I said in the beginning like I have I like I disagree with fundamental things. Uh-huh. Like saying check your privilege is not dismissive. You I've never heard This is me personally, my own personal lived experience and those of other people that I know, I never hear anybody except for white people and honestly, specifically white women have a problem with being told to check their fucking privilege. First of all, when somebody says check your privilege, they're not denying your humanity. They're not telling you that your human experience, that the human condition, that your ability to struggle or feel emotion and pain and sadness and stress is not real. That is not what check your privilege means. But only white people and only white women, for the most part, are the ones that want to buck back and say that there's a problem with being told to check their privilege. And for me, that's because we live in a society that constantly celebrates everything that you identify with, that creates systems to allow you to constantly benefit from. And so you're walking around a world that where everything is constantly... Easier, I'm sorry, it's just easier being a white person. Even if you're a white woman, it is easier being a white person than it is to be anything else. And again, that doesn't mean that you're not a human being that feels things and that experiences life in the same way that we all do. But what that means is that you get to navigate this life a hundred yards ahead of everybody else. So being told to check your privilege simply means recognize that you get a hundred yard head start. When we tell you to check your privilege, we're not saying that you're any less of a human being. We're just saying that you need to be cognizant of the fact that you're talking to somebody who starts further back than you, whose experience is 10 times harder. And the last thing I'm gonna say is this. The fact that you even get to have a problem with being told to check your privilege is your own, like, that is your own white guilt. That is your own shame. That is everything that you are feeling internally. And you need to work through that. I urge you to hire a coach. You can hire me. You can hire Trudy. You can (laughs) hire somebody brand new. But what that tells me when you can't hear a person of color or somebody that identifies with a marginalized community telling you to check your privilege without automatically going on the defense and saying, but I'm a human being too. That just tells me that you have your own shit that you haven't worked through. And that because of that, my voice and my struggle and my pain is automatically silenced. You don't value it. You can't hear me because you're so consumed by your own reality of mm-hmm. privilege. And so I'm calling, like, I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't hear that. I don't, I can't rationalize that experience. Like, I, I can understand the experience of being silenced. It happens to me all the time. I get that. So I understand that initial experience of like, oh, I feel like my human condition is being silenced. However, that's not what that means. That's not how that works. And so you don't get to pull that card. You don't. Yeah. You just don't.
0: And I think the other thing that it means, like check your privilege, is to just, when I see it used, it's usually used to signal that one of your biases or assumptions about the the world is influencing your response to something or influencing your behavior towards something that's not really translating to the people that you're talking to. Like there's something that is not connecting because specifically related to your biases or your assumptions about how the world works.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I would even add another layer to that for clarity, just if for people that like all of these concepts are new for your privilege is what informs your bias. So when your bias is showing right, when I, I t- tell people that all the time, I'm like, your white privilege is showing your bias is showing your, That's you it. know, check your privilege. It's because your biases and the way that you see the world, the lens with which you get to view the world, is informed specifically by the privilege that has informed your life narrative. And so when you say something, and exactly, it's not connecting, or your bias is showing, you have to take a step back and acknowledge that your bias is informed by that privilege. Right. You get rose-colored glasses because of that privilege. And, and you just got to accept it. It's okay. It's okay. Right, it's okay. It's not your fault. Like, that's just how the world was made. Like, that's just how our, well, I shouldn't say the world. Our society was built. Was built. This way. Yes. The system was literally built. You are, and this this goes into what I just said about, like, white guilt and, like, white shame. You can be a good person. Mm -hmm. You can literally walk through the world and try to do your damnedest to make sure that anyone from a marginalized community, when they're in your presence feels honored and valued and uplifted and empowered that does not negate your privilege (laughs) like if you are born with any sort of mainstream privilege that doesn't negate the good that you try to do like they're not mutually exclusive
0: and i think what we've talked about before is that like understanding your privilege and owning your privilege is really a important step but not just important but it's a non-negotiable really if you hope to become an accomplice an ally like if you hope to move towards that role in your work or in your life you have to start by owning your privilege understanding what it is and what it could do and how it could be leveraged for the benefit of other people correct so that is again so when we say you know not only is it not your fault but it's a tool that could be used if you use it the right way but if you feel like when people are challenging it or calling it out if you want to kind of just like push it to the side you can't do the work to really own it and be like oh actually you know what let me let me think about how my privilege is showing right and how i can like reframe this or how can i how can i use this to you know in a different way and that's what really what we want especially in our work to make this co- the coaching industry more accessible more inclusive is for white coaches to do that work to go through the process to own their privilege to understand it so that they can create environments that are safer, that are more inclusive, okay. whether it's in their direct work or their social impact work, you know, like whatever area of your life this that this is kind of showing up for you.
1: Right. I mean, and, and I always like to, as much as I hate sharing my own experience <laughs> and like putting myself out there, what I do like to do is use at least Trudy and I, like use us as... As examples. And not to say like, oh, we're doing it right. And this at the other, but just to say, like, everyone has their own work to do. And so I know for you and I like we're cognizant of our light skin privilege, we're cognizant of our race, the privilege of racial ambiguity, we're cognizant of the privilege that we have by regardless of how we had to fight to get our educations, we got them right? Like we are cognizant of all of those things. And so because of our awareness of our own privilege and because of our awareness of what it means to be able to navigate spaces in an easier way than our, you know, more melanated or darker, um, you know, brothers and sisters out there, we, we have taken the fight on our shoulders in a different way. Like we both You know, and if you ever see Trudy and I on social media or on Facebook and you're like, why are they always coming for people? Like, why are they always bucking back? We both have made a commitment to to fight the fight and to always check things that we see, because off top, we know that the reaction to both of us is going to be very different than the reaction to a darker or, quote unquote, visibly black you know, woman or man off top. We know that. It's not to say that it's not exhausting. It's not to say that it's not, you know, stressful and that there aren't days that I just want to cuss everybody out. There are. Shit, today after the week that we've had in Oakland, I want to cuss everybody out. Everybody could get it with no filter. Yeah. But that's not beneficial, so I'm not doing that. But that we've we've done work and we're still doing work and so because we're cognizant of that privilege, we navigate society in a certain way so that we can amplify other voices because certain spaces are safer for us than they are for other marginalized communities. And it, we take it as our responsibility to do that period. So this is, this is, this is, I feel like this is our call to action. Like y'all, y'all check your privilege, yo, and, and navigate differently. Cool. (laughs) Cool. That's what I got. Well, okay. So Trudy, how, how though, like, I feel like you, you should maybe jump in with a, a, how how can people, what can people do?
0: Even though, you know, I think that we've done a good job at describing white privilege and or privilege in general, I do want to make sure that we give a couple of examples for people who might be listening and just maybe thinking, oh, not real. Or what is what really is the impact of of white privilege? and Why is this like such a thing that we're intent on talking about? So I have some statistics that I'm going to share, but I think that it's important to just name just the immediate things that have just happened in this week.
1: Yeah. So I'm uh, obviously I am in, in the Bay area. I live in Oakland and just in the last week, we've had two just very clear examples of what privilege looks like on Sunday. This beautiful young 18 year old soul, Neil Wilson was brutally murdered at MacArthur-Bart Station. So, Bart is our equivalent of a subway. MacArthur is a stop in Oakland. Um, Her and her sister were getting on the train, and this vile human being, John Lee Cowell, slashed Nia's throat and stabbed her sister. And I'm using this language very specifically because if you Google this, you'll hear a stabbing suspect. You'll hear a lot of uh, much gentler words used. This man slit this girl's throat. And, and tried to do the same thing for her sister. Her sister was in critical condition and is now um, out of the hospital. Nia um, died shortly after the attack. So his picture went viral. His name went viral. This man rode BART, multiple BART trains, for the next 24 hours. Several people called in saying they had seen him, so on and so forth. BART did... I guess their best to deploy officers and hold trains every time they, they got a call. He was finally arrested at Pleasant Hill, which is a whole other city. It's in, um, it's on the other side of the tunnel, regardless. This is an example. A day
0: day. day later,
1: an entire day later, literally 24 hours later, this man got to ride the subway and people were calling like, to be clear, a woman called because she was being followed by him. She did not recognize him. Her child did. Her child was like, mom, I think that's the guy. She approached a gate agent and was like, this is the man that killed that little girl last night. The gate agent didn't know what the hell she was talking about, dismissed her, and so they left. They didn't even get on the BART train. That's how scared they were. Like, people are scared. Even now, he's been caught. People are scared. And he was arrested without incident. Okay, so this is, right, this is the white privilege aspect of it. This is how he was arrested. He's on the, on the platform waiting for the train because they held the train. And the BART police approach him Excuse me, sir, what's your name? He doesn't lie, John Cowell. Okay, sir, you are going to be placed under arrest for the alleged crime that you committed. This man is on film. They identified him as being her murderer. Like, oh, for the alleged crime. So they very gently and calmly put his hands behind his back. They arrest him. And the report says, without incident. They didn't run up on him. There were no guns drawn. They just gently approach him. What's your name? Identify yourself. Cool. You are who we think you are. We're going to handcuff you very gently and, and take you into custody. Come with us. So now he's been arrested. So juxtapose that to two separate incident, other incident, incidences. One, there is a new lemonade stand in the mission. Or not stand. It's a store. Um, dope. It's called Lemonade. If you're in San Francisco in the mission, it's owned by a black man. Go spend your money there. But so very long story short, Victor Stevenson owns it. He was literally just getting into his business. Keys, code, all of a sudden, four cops show up, run up on him. Somebody in the neighborhood, I guess, called them. And he's approached by two of the officers. They're asking him for his identification. Do you own the store? What is your relation to this store? The other officers, he said, like, and he names it. He was like, they had their hands on their gun. Like, they were ready to draw on this man. And so naturally, he does what all all people of color and specifically black men have been trained to do stay very calm make sure his hands are visible explain to them you know that he owns the store all of the identification is inside for his business license so on and so forth he proceeds to unlock the store with his keys and put in the security code that he has because he's the owner and they're still like ready trigger happy ready to kill this man so this man did not commit a crime and is ambushed by four officers not, they don't give him the benefit of, what's your name? Mm-hmm. Why are you here? Right? So there's that. And then just to make it even clearer, because this, these were BART police that arrested this man. I don't know how many of you have seen Fruitvale Station, how many of you know who Oscar Grant is. But in 2009, there was a fight on a BART train. The individuals that were suspected of fighting were pulled off the train aggressively, violently. There is video of this. If you do not believe me, YouTube it pull him off him and his friends off the train they put them in handcuffs now to be clear oscar grant has his hands cuffed behind his back he is on his knees he is facing the ground there are different accounts you can watch the video but it is said that he was i don't know if he was asking what's not clear because it's 2009 audio wasn't great whether he's asking questions like why am i being arrested what's going on but essentially he was not performing his his blackness correctly he wasn't you know he wasn't submitting supposedly y'all can't see me but there's huge air quotes here i don't know how an individual on their knees face down on the ground with their hands cuffed behind their back can't be submitting but this individual was shot and killed in shot in the back and killed by a bart officer for doing nothing other than asking questions so if that doesn't scream white privilege to you this john cowell who has been clearly identified as a murderer being arrested without incident, being given the benefit of identifying himself as the, the, as the correct white man before he's arrested versus Victor Stevenson, who was doing nothing other than trying to open his business, and Oscar Grant, who was doing nothing other than being a black man on New Year's Eve being murdered. Like, I, I don't know how, how that's any clearer. That's pretty damn clear to me. That, that is a summation. That is a perfect snapshot of what white privilege is.
0: Absolutely. Drops that's a mark. lot.
1: Drops mm-hmm. Mike I still get mad when so, talk about that shit I know so
0: yeah I mean I think that you know our our work our hope is that we can get to a place where our life outcomes aren't connected to our race mm-hmm. but that you know that our race is not a proxy for um, how long we're going to live what right. diseases we're going we're to deal. get what our you know income CAP is going to be like all of these things. And we just know we have the data that just shows that black people, people of color are more likely to be unemployed at every education level. Right. So whether you have a high school diploma, graduate degree, bachelor's degree, doctorate, whatever, people of color are just going to have a harder time finding work and to be, they're more likely to be unemployed. People of color are more likely to live in neighborhoods that are lower income places, right, that are just, that have less access to resources. This one really, this statistic really blew my mind, and I've worked in school systems for very long long parts of my career. Um, So 33% of all white students in the United States, 33% of them go to schools that are classified as low income, and only 6% of white students go to school in schools that are identified as high poverty students. So that's 39% in total of white students go to low income and high poverty schools. 40% of all students of color go to high poverty schools and 10% go to low poverty schools. So 50% of all students of color are in just bad schools, right? Just in, right. Um, so, and that persists like throughout a lifetime, right? The, the outcomes of that, how well you do in school is going to influence like where you go, if you go to college, where you go to college, what kind of jobs mm-hmm. you're going to have, like all of this stuff. So we can't say that white privilege isn't a thing. Like we have so much information to show that there, the disparities exist. The question really is like, are people brave enough to own it and to start leveraging it to fix right. the disparities,
1: to create equity, which is what all of this is about. That's literally all, all we can ask for, right? No matter what your privilege looks like, because as we've said, there are layers and dimensions to privilege, but anyone that finds himself in a position of privilege or in an environment where they can leverage their privilege, like what will it take for you to stand up and leverage that privilege to create equity? Like I, I don't have the answer to that, right? I know how I move. I know how I urge the people around me to move and what I expect from them. But I don't know how we get everybody to do it. Yeah. But we have suggestions. Lots. (laughs) Um, I think the, the first thing, if you take nothing away from this, anyone with privilege, when somebody tells you to check your privilege, yo, just stop. Like, first and foremost, stop. Stop talking. Stop gesticulating. Stop every... Just stop. Pause. Take a beat. And then listen. It is not your time to start defending yourself. Just listen. Like, stop and listen. And then I would say reflect on like what part of your bias showed up? Like what assumptions were you making? Mm -hmm. What version of your rose colored glasses were you looking through during that conversation or during the action that caused somebody to tell you to check your privilege? Like think about that. If you're talking to somebody that, you know, is somebody, you know, and you feel comfortable asking them to explain to you like, yo, what did I just do or say that made you feel like that? or made made it seem as though, you know, I was waving my privilege flag, mm-hmm. you know, ask, because that's how you're going to learn. But keep in mind that no person, no marginalized person that is going to tell you to check your privilege owes you that explanation.
0: Right. And that's why it's important to really be in community with people, because if you're, if you are in community with people, and you ask that, you're likely going to get an answer, no, because there's a relationship there. Mm-hmm. But if that person doesn't know you, or they don't feel like you're asking, from an authentic place, um, but that rather you're asking to like, ch- to be able to challenge them. Like they right. don't, they're not likely to, um, you know, to answer. And if all else fails, ask Weez and I. <laughs> right.
1: To be we like, are. this is what
0: happened. This is what I said. Like what? And we'd be happy to help you out. Right. And kind of walk you, you know, walk you. Um, the next part is to own the impact of what you're saying. Right. So I think we talked about this in an earlier episode, you know, part of the process of, of equity and recognizing that it's a practice is to own both the intent of what you're saying and the impact of what you're saying. Um, so if you have said something that the impact was harmful or triggering, own that and, you know, create that space for multiple realities to be real, mm-hmm. right? And just say, you know, it's not what I meant. And I apologize for the imp- that impact. Um, and try to understand where they're coming from. Like put yourself in that person's shoes, like really just try to understand and listen, listen to understand and not to respond. I think mm-hmm. that's like, really.
1: The- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Listen to learn, not, not just, but isn't that just, uh, how you're supposed to listen, <laughs> listen to learn instead of listening to wait for your, your chance to respond.
0: Yeah. As you're putting together your, your argument back, you're no, not, that's not.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So quickly to wrap up, I just want to, you know, we always do our do better.
0: Yes. So So we didn't do them. I want to acknowledge that. So we didn't do our do betters over our last two episodes, but that's because Um, they were were about us. They were.
1: Yeah. So we're bringing them back.
0: back.
1: We're bringing back the do better. I mean, I don't know how I could have done any better. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Joking. Um, Okay. So. In conjunction with, um, I'll say her name a million times, Neil Wilson's murder, senseless, senseless murder. Um, So she was brutally murdered on a Sunday. They arrested John Lee Cowell 24 hours later on a Monday. That same Monday, um, in Oakland, it is believed that uh, this was uh, a show of support for John Cowell meaning that John Cowell is in fact a white supremacist racist and was targeting women of color. Um, A group called the proud boys. So I don't know if y'all have heard of them. They're a super racist alt-right group. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically what they do is they show up at restaurants or bars that are, they believe are either like heavily populated with people of color or that there will be people of color at, and they just, they attack people of color. They just start fights, brawls. So, The news went out fairly quickly. So if any of you follow me on social media, you'll see I posted it. Everyone I know posted it. They were going to show up at a bar in Oakland called McWesting. McWesting is like the place to go. It's on a corner. It's right by the Fox Theater. There's like a couple other bars there. Whenever we do like when we shut the streets down for the Oakland Warriors parades, anything like that, it happens in front of McWesting. So I say that to say Oakland shows up at McWesting regularly. Like Mm -hmm. this is the spot. So the Proud Boys were going to go there. So in response to this information going viral, McWesting decided to create an event that same night called the good hop. And they said, uh, actually, no, I apologize. It wasn't McWesting. It was a, a group of citizens in conjunction with, so this was in conjunction with Mick Westing. Our friends down at Make Westing got word that the Proud Boys were having a meetup there tonight. So to counter, they have organized a pro-Oakland movement to celebrate what we love about our community, to show our diversity, our pride, and our strength. We at the Good Hop stand united with our awesome Oakland community to say racist, fascist, and the alt-right are not welcome in our establishment. Please come down and peacefully join the celebration of our city. Support Mick Westing and take a stand in love and against hate. So everybody showed up. Like, check hashtags, check the internet. I'll just say the Proud Boys didn't make it very far down the street. They were run out very quickly. It just was not a thing. So Oakland made it really clear. Like, our new phrase is Oakland does not negotiate with racism. Um, We've made it really, really clear. Organizations and businesses like Westing and and the Good Hop have made it really clear that we will continue to try uh, our damnedest to celebrate all of the things that we once loved about Oakland before all of the barbecue Beckys and Permit Patties and John Cowles and Proud Boys decided to show their face. So they leveraged their power. They leveraged their position to really unify for for love. Um, I think that's super dope. So shout out to to the Good Hop. Shout out to Mick Westing. Shout out to everybody that showed up out there because we did the thing. We made it very clear where we stand. And I think everybody just needs to do more of that. Yeah, you know, absolutely. when you, when you know that something ugly is coming to your business or to your town, you know, whether you know it's coming and you can send out a rally cry for unification or whether it just pops up, you do your damnedest to try to make it clear. Like that is not welcome here. That's a shout good. out to them. Yeah. that's
0: All right, y'all. That's it for episode 17. We appreciate you being here with us today. Yeah. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hey, y'all, what's up? Thank you so much for sticking with us through episode 17 of That's Not How That Works. If you're a fan of the show, please let us know. We would love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram at NotHowThatWorks. You can email us at hello at NotHowThatWorks.com. And we would really love if you can take a moment and give us a review on iTunes. And remember, next time someone says, check your privilege, you tell them, nothing. You just listen.